Liberty, economics and politics, the Constitution and capitalism. Overcome the narrative. Your future starts here. This is the Hurley Show. Russians here for the Russians. Quit Russian agent. The evidence of collusion. How, how is it not collusion? How is all of that not collusion? The collusion. The news is tightening. The news is tightening. The, the news is tightening, if you will. The news is tightening around the president. The news is tightening. And I think they're shocked that the news is tightening. In on the president. The investigative walls are closing in. He feels the walls closing in. The walls are closing in. Impeachment. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to The Hurley Show. I'm your host, Sean Hurley, and it's time to overcome the narrative. This is episode one, and it's going to be a little rough, so thank you for joining me. First, I'd like to give a shout-out to the band that gave me permission to use their song for this podcast. So if you get a chance, go check out No Lap, and the song is called Everywhere I Go. Now, let's get started. First, a few housekeeping items. One, the media is not what you were led to believe it is. It is chock full of opinion and editorializing surrounded by narrative. So what do I mean by opinion and editorializing surrounded by narrative? Let's spend a minute looking into these facts surrounding the media. I must mention that this is for all sources of media. Some are far worse than others, but the worst have an agenda. Opinion and editorializing is a view or judgment formed about something, but not necessarily based on facts or knowledge. These opinions are subjective and are strongly formed by one's subjective belief system. Now, the narrative is where everything comes into play. And the presenter of opinion gets your attention, changes your view on the world around you. A narrative, a representation of situation or a process in such a way that reflects or conforms to an overreaching set of aims or values. So... Now that we've gone through that, let's spend a minute talking about narrative and what that means for the observer. Most people in the world today have been groomed to pay attention to the narrative in a subliminal message kind of way, and this starts at an early age. As a child, let's go back and look at what could have been your favorite show growing up. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for example. I know, you're like, where's this going and just bear with me for a second and I'll get there. The Ninja Turtles, a movie that came out in 1990, was not about the movie, folks. It was about toys. That's right. Just selling you toys. You see, in the mid-1980s, a toy company obtained the rights from a couple of small-time comic book writers and just wanted to sell the Turtles as toys. But, how do you sell these toys? That's right. TV. So in 1987, this toy company had a cartoon created for TV to get the attention of the children. Then started advertising the toys during the cartoon and voila. The children sat there watching these shows. They were created specifically only for selling toys. Their minds got hooked. It was turtle power. Now, let's move a couple years down the road. In 1989 the toy sales began to fall and the toy company had to get creative. How do we sell more toys? Our sales suck right now. So you know where I'm going with this. And if not, and in 1989, the toy company had a movie made in the United States. And the movie was a hit. 
opening weekend, it made double its budget and 10 times its budget during its original run. But what was really happening was, that's right, toys. These turtles sold so many damn toys it was incredible. These toy sales started to settle, then bam, another movie, more toys. Video games, toys, new TV shows, toys. I think you get the point. What's happening is, in, the human mind only has so much attention. So much attention span for certain things that attract it. And people fall away. Then a new shiny object, and that holds their attention, and so on and so on. Now, where am I going with this? I'm using the turtles as an example of how a company found a way to keep kids interested for 32 years. And sold billions of dollars worth of toys. Games, movies, video games, comics. All the while, kids have been enjoying these TV shows and movies while the narrative was playing out on the screen, changing their view. They had to have these toys. The kids would get bored, make a minor change to the narrative, new toys. The only reason the Ninja Turtles was on TV and in movies was toys. And this toy company had power. The power to control the minds of the kids and their parents. Because they sold a lot of damn toys. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does any of this have to do with the media? Take a step back for a moment and think about whatever some of your favorite things were growing up. And why were you interested? And that thing, what kept you coming back? As you were in school, you were taught a certain way from a certain book and told to believe certain things. And certain ways things happened, and you just accepted it. Same with the turtles. The show had you view things a certain way, and you had to have the toys to go with it. Not realizing the company was just selling you toys. They were not selling you entertainment. The TV show and the movies were just an expense to get you to buy toys, where the real money was at. Now... I just told you a story, a narrative. How much of what I just told you did you take at face value? Did you believe it? Did you sit back for a minute and think of the toys you had when you were a kid and said, holy crap, I loved that show, and I had all the toys to go with it? Well, what I told you was the facts the way I see them, and they were as factual as I can explain them. So, the media has been doing the same thing for the last 70 years. They've been printing stories and presenting you with information, telling you what is true and what to believe, shaping your mind into the little activist you are today. What is the point? For what? Well, there's a major political movement out there that needs people to believe in its cause. Believe in their reality believe in their facts as they present them the media does not want you to think for yourself they want to think for you they started training you when you were a child the education you got at school the shows you watched on TV and that's right the toys you made your parents buy so you could play with it now you're older and you think I can think for myself. Wrong. Through the power of narrative, they have you believing 
that you think for yourself. But here's a problem. Most people in the world don't look into facts that are being presented. They just take in the information as they see it or hear it and believe it. Yeah, it's really that simple. Now, let's take a look and see how all of this started and who was involved. Operation Mockingbird. Now, what is Operation Mockingbird? From all that is interesting.com, it was a large scale project undertaken by the CIA beginning in the 1950s, in which they recruited American journalists into a propaganda network. They recruited journalists, were put on the payroll by the CIA, and instructed to write fake stories that promoted the views of the intelligence agency. Students, cultural organizations, and magazines were allegedly funded as a front for this operation. Operation Mockingbird expanded later in order to influence the foreign media as well. So, from SpartacusEducation.com, in 1948, Frank Weisner was appointed director of the Office of Special Projects. Soon afterwards, it was renamed the Office of Policy Coordination. This became the Espionage Counterintelligence Branch of the CIA. Weisner was told to create an organization that concentrated on propaganda, economic warfare, prevention, direction action, including sabotage, anti-sabotage, demolition, and evacuation measures. Subversions against hostile states, including assistance to underground resistance groups. Did you hear that? Underground resistance groups and support of indigenous anti-communist elements in threatened countries of the free world. Later that year, Weisner established Mockingbird, a program to influence domestic American media. Weisner recruited Philip Graham from the Washington Post to run the project within its industry. Graham himself recruited others who had worked for the military intelligence during the war. This included James Truitt, Russell Wiggins, Phil Galen, John Hayes, and Alan Barth, and others like Stuart Alsop and Joseph Alsop. And James Reston were recruited from within a set at Georgetown. According to Deborah Davis, the author of Catherine the Great in 1979, by the early 50s, Weisner owned respective members of the New York Times, Newsweek, and other communication vehicles. In 1951, Alan Dulles persuaded Cord Meyer to join the CIA. However, there is evidence that he was recruited several years earlier and had been spying on organizations he had been a member of in the late 40s. According to Davis, Myers became Mockingbird's principal operative. One of the most important journalists under the control of Operation Mockingbird was Joseph Alsop, whose articles appeared in over 300 different newspapers. According to Nina Burley, the author of A Very Private Woman in 1988, journalists sometimes wrote articles that were commissioned by Frank Weisner. 
the CIA also provided them with classified information to help them with their work. Now, after 1953, the network was overseen by Alan Dulles, director of the CIA. By this time, Operation Mockingbird had a major influence in over 25 newspapers and wire agencies. The Office of Policy Coordination was funded by siphoning funds intended for the Marshall Plan. So, History.com writes the Marshall Plan was known as the European Recovery Program, the U.S. program providing aid to Western Europe following the devastation of World War II. It was enacted in 1948 and provided more than $15 billion to help finance rebuilding efforts on the continent. $15 billion in 1948. Some of this money was used to bribe journalists and publishers. Frank Wisner constantly looking for ways to help to convince the public of the dangers of communism. In 1954, Wisner arranged for the funding of a Hollywood production of Animal Farm, an animated allegory based on a book written by no one else other than George Orwell. Endnote writes, Animal Farm is a political allegory that reacts, recast the participants of the Russian Revolution as animals. For example, Napoleon and Snowball correspond to Joseph Stalin and Leon Trotsky respectively. Orwell draws from traditional fairy tales, folk tales, and fables and animals. He subtitled the novel A Fairy Story, indicating that the narrative has fantastical elements that provide an important moral lesson the same way traditional fairy tales do. In many ways, the novel functions as a satire of the Soviet Union in how it critiques the injustices and shortcomings of the system of government. IMDb. The CIA obtained the film rights to Animal Farm from Orwell's widow, Sonia, after his death and covertly funded the production as anti-communist propaganda. Some sources assert that the ending of the story was altered by the CIA. In the book, the pigs and humans join forces to press home their message. Now, a top-secret CIA document labeled Family Jewels was released in June of 2007, and it stated, Project Mockingbird, a telephone intercept activity was conducted between the 12th of March 1963 and the 15th of June 1963 and targeted two Washington-based newsmen who, at the time, had been publishing news articles based on and frequently quoting classified material of this agency and others, including top secret and special intelligence. So, the telephone intercept connections were installed at Newman's office, at the newsmen's offices, and at each of their homes for a total of three. These connections were established with the assistance of the telephone company's officials who responded to a personal request request by Director of Security, Colonel Edwards. Colonel Edwards' authority for the activity was Mr. John McCone, Director of Central Intelligence. These later conducted 
activities in coordination with the Attorney General Robert Kennedy and the Secretary of Defense Robert McNarma. So, and the Director of Defense. Intelligence Agency General Carroll, in addition to the Office of Security personnel directly involved in the interception of these researches of material acquired therefore. Other agency officials were on record as witting of the activity. The Deputy Director of Intelligence, General Carter, the Inspector General, Lehman Kirkpatrick, and General Counsel Lawrence Houston. So, the intercept activity was particularly productive in identifying contacts of these newsmen, their methods of operation, and many of their sources of information. For example, it was determined that during the period they received data from 13 newsmen, 12 of whom were identified, 12 senators, 6 members of Congress, all identified, 21 congressional staff members, of 11 whom were identified, 16 government employees, including a staff member of the White House, members of the presidential office, and an assistant attorney general, and other well-placed individuals. A number of these sources were partially or tentatively identified, but the short span of the activity precluded positive identification. It was observed that through these contact, the newsmen actually received more classified and official data than they could use and passed some of the stories to other newsmen for release, establishing that many leaks appearing under others' bylines were actually from the sources of these target newsmen. Since the termination of Project Mockingbird, these materials related to it which were retained have been maintained under strict security access of two offices of security professionals. Now, the news has not been the news since the 1950s, and their tactics continue today. Now, I'm not saying that the, that the government has control and is controlling all of the media input, but they certainly have control over some of what you are seeing and coming from today's newsrooms. It's become more controlled by the leftists and their ideologies. They parrot each other. And that is what is coming from the Democrat Party and these leftists. Okay, so let's fast forward to January 8th, 2007. Susan Ducklos writes, On Tuesday, Democratic Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer made not only a stunning admission to ABC's Rachel Maddow, but also issued an outright threat against President-elect Donald Trump, saying that Trump's taking on the intelligence community regarding their sloppy intel, reporting about Russian propaganda, also is really dumb because they have six ways from Sunday to get back at you. Schumer went on to say he had been told the intelligence community was very upset with what he has been, how he has been treating them, and then talked to them about it. So let's listen in here 
Let's listen in and see. President-elect's latest, latest yeah. unsolicited pronouncement on the intelligence community. This was his tweet just a little while ago tonight. You see the scare quotes there. The yeah. intelligence briefing yeah. on so-called Russian hacking was delayed until Friday. Perhaps more time needed to build a case. Very strange. But he's, he's taking these shots, this antagonism, yeah. this taunting to the intelligence Let me tell community. You, you take on the intelligence community. They have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. What do you think the intelligence community would do if they were motivated I don't know, to? but I, from what I am told, they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. So, do you hear that? Okay, so what you can't see is, in the interview, they have Donald Trump's tweet up on the screen. Now there's something that I have to point out. President-elect Donald Trump at the time, in this tweet, it was on January 3rd, 2017. And today, we now know that on January 5th, 2017, there was a briefing in the Oval Office. Mauling Hemingway from the Federalist writes, This information released in the Justice Department motion to dismiss the case against General Flynn confirms the significance of of the January 5th, 2017 meeting with the Obama White House. It was at this meeting that Obama gave guidance to key officials who would be tasked with protecting his administration's utilization of secretly funded Clinton campaign research, which alleged Trump was involved in a treasonous plot to collude with the Russians from being discovered or stopped by the incoming administration. So, National Security Advisor Susan Rice wrote an unusual email to herself 15 days later about the meeting that was also attended by Deputy Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, FBI Director James Comey, and Vice President Joe Biden. President Obama said he wants to be sure that as we engage with the incoming team, we were mindful to ascertain if there was any reason that we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. So, I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to put a pin in it. I'm going to just put it right there. When we come back to the next episode... We will start to uncover how all of this is playing out in our world today. We'll dig deeper into the deception and what that means for you. Have a good day. And thanks for joining me on Overcoming the Narrative. I finally know why you can't get an answer. I finally know why you feel like a number. They keep a secret into their